everybody. I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. And we are back. A brand new episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher, where we put together overly complicated psyops that involve thousands of people and a woman (laughs) not involved in the Super Bowl just to make her win. (laughs) And then we figure out something about these books. As you do. Today, we are on chunk number six, chapters 32 through 37. Sounds like it. Sounds like it to me. (laughs) Of White Knight. That is book nine in the proceedings here. We are ramping up to quite a finale. Mm -hmm. Lots going on here. Oh, my goodness. How you doing today, Ice? Oh, peachy keen, jelly bean. Oh, goodness gracious. I uh, made some apple crumble. I made some, I canned some uh, pickled jalapenos, and I'm working on some pickled pickles right now. Oh, yeah. I party hard, let me tell you. Hell yeah. I tell you what, you want a mustard that'll bite your face off, but also be delicious. Lissy is your gal. I'm nearing the end of my jar, so we're going to have to uh, do some work. I have one more jar I can send you. Or maybe bring it with me when I come next month. If you do a carry-on. Did you ever... Doesn't it count as liquid? Maybe not. It's not a liquid. I, I I meant if you check it. Oh, yeah. No, I... If I'm going southwest, I always check a bag. Come on. You know me. I overpack for Oh, bags fly free, right? Did yeah. you uh you ever seen the key and peel sketch about TSA? Maybe. I don't know like, though. Like Bin Laden and the boys are sitting around, sitting in a cave, and like, all right, I have this perfect idea. You you just need you need to have three out five ounces of liquid and you get it through. <laughs> but they're like, no, TSA. All right, how about this one? We put it in the shoe. Oh very man. It's amusing. TSA are the real heroes is really the uh, <laughs> what we get out of that sketch. I digress. Um, what'd you think about this chunk? Again, we left it on a great cliffhanger. I almost wish we had left it a chapter before just because the bad attitude. Just because you're mean. <laughs> oh no, because the chapter before would have been a great I yeah. love a good entrance. That would have been a great spot to finish uh, narratively, but also you would have not had as rough of a time building up to the fight and then having to stop part yeah through. yeah yeah which it's is an adventure that's okay it's okay i mean obviously cerulean they... ovaries we call that in the business i believe well what cerulean ovaries i've never heard that term but okay blue balls ah the lady version gotcha dork <laughs> i just remember that from a uh episode of x files there's a creepy guy in the back it's cerulean blue cerulean blue ah uh, weird shit stuck in my brain in the early I... 90s I understand that completely. Most of it dangerous. Goodness gracious me. Um, Excite Ting, we are ramping up here to go tackle uh, Jimbo Butcher, make him do a chest bump while holding oh a goodness. dick mark. Very excited about that. On that note, if you've been a Patreon member, shoot me your address. I want to send you, I'll send you a regular bookmark if you're going to be lame about it. But these things are really sweet. Uh, mine glows in the dark. I can't promise everyone's. <laughs> uh but yeah, we'd love to get you, you know, well, get, get your beaks wet for, for taking care of us and keeping the lights on around here. So definitely take care of that. And I'm going to see Lissy in, oh, what about five, six weeks or so. And 
the sun is shining in the Pacific Northwest today. So nice. all, all strange it's and wonderful things. It's gray and supposed to rain here, so. Well, that's what you get for moving to NorCal. <laughs> it's more so. Oldest winter I ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Mm, it is accurate, though. Summers in San Francisco are not warm. Apocryphally credited often to Mark Twain, but I don't think anyone knows who said that. <laughs> so, because we're starting on a an even chapter today, I have the difficult but important job of ferrying us all across, fording us across the river, making sure we don't drop any bullets or clothes or pick up dysentery, and I will get us into it. Chapter 30. I don't think you can get dysentery from the river sticks, but I could be wrong. Probably not that one, but all the ones in uh, Oregon Trail, I consistently had it. (laughs) So we are dealing with some white court intrigue in this novel. Obviously, we're in the still in the midst of the wizards versus vampire war that's been waging, oh, since book three or so when Harry decided to torch the Velvet Room. I mean, the first time. Yeah, the first time. And the other vampire courts have been nominally at war as well. They're they're allies with the other courts, but they're really kind of. um constantly at war with each other don't they just generally hate each other that was sort of the vibe i got who's that the, the various the others yeah yeah so they're nominally allied because they're all kind of bunched into the vampire bucket and they do share some goals and situations but they all consider themselves alpha predators so they're, they're definitely not copacetic ever they're they always have some tension with each other that's why I say it's, it's they're nominally at war, but we haven't seen the white court or really the black court that I know of or can remember do a whole lot to get involved actively in the war. Yeah, it seems like they they will each of the each group individually will cause trouble with the people and the rest of the world, but they won't necessarily cause trouble with each other. Yeah, they're probably it's probably more accurate to say they're all opposed to and battling the strength of the white council. Yeah. And so it's an enemy of my enemy kind of situation that they find themselves bedfellows. Because really, even though they're all vampires and they feed on the same kind, they're very different. They're very different yeah. in the way they go about it and the way they, they get their power. As the world continues to grow, we see that they approach that conflict very differently, each court to themselves. Very true, yeah. Which makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Using their strengths to protect their weaknesses. And obviously to protect the people in charge, because that's what's most important, as we've seen with the Merlin as well. And the White King, who is technically still in charge, Mr. Wraith. Mm-hmm. So agents of the White Court of Vampires have been working towards a culling of magical talent. Basically, they're going around to multiple cities, I think it was five or six, and they're killing women with magical blood. They're not actively going after any wizards, today wizards. But they're looking to cull the bloodline and stop future wizards from being born. Mm-hmm. They're playing very much the long game. They're not worried about the Red King's nonsense with actually lining up across from a foe and trying to have battle. That's not the White Court's raison d'etre. They, they are sneaky, sneaky snakes. Harry likens them to uh, bobcats or something like that. Mount- they, use, they use a cat's paw. Yeah, I, I may have fallen asleep with the audiobook going. Harry likens them to, to mountain lions at some point. They're not in your face. They're kind of sneaking in the shadows. And it's just a, a good description. Good enough that I'll spoil that line for this week, I guess. I wasn't sure. <laughs> so they've been culling women and 
there was a lot of a number of red herrings involved and a white herring as I've and I was right of course as you generally are obviously Thomas isn't going to have a heel turn and just no light all the helpless women up he might kill Harry at some point but not all I mean not helpless women he so, is his little brother <laughs> believe me my as the is Thomas the older brother he's the little yes brother. Thomas is the, is the older brother oh yeah obviously and I will say as one time me and Miles changed the brakes on one of my cars. Oh, God. We worked together to do something in his realm of expertise one time. And that is the last time we will do something like that. <laughs> God love him, but brothers can piss you off. So I, I understand the energy. I understand it, too. <laughs> so we found out that there was a, a, the, th- the triumvirate, kind of the three major houses in the white court. I mean, we, don't, we haven't heard of any others, but... There's no reason to think they're the only houses. They're just the ones on top. Scavis, Malvora, and Rake, who we already know. And agents of Scavis and Malvora, working with Madrigal Wraith, a cousin of our own Thomas, have been... Half-cousin of Harry? Have been... going to say, maybe a half-cousin? <laughs> have been working this scheme. And one of the end goals, besides the culling, is also to take down the White King. And to probably, it sounds like, Cesarina Malvora is the power player who would fill that vacuum here were Mr. Wraith to tumble. However, Harry caught on because, again, we've talked about that, and we'll get into that later, but because uh, Madrigal decided to put out alarm bells for Harry, Harry showed up, and now things are tricky, and we're, it's basically coming to a head. We've lost. They've done the culling, and the Wraiths, Lara is the actual head of the white court laura wants to add another layer of peace to their relations with the white council and if malvora or scavis were to win that would not happen so we're missing out on an opportunity to it's not, i wouldn't say they're gaining an ally but certainly losing a, a losing an antagonist which is still important based on how heavy the losses have been and how difficult this war has been so far so Bad news for the White Council, but because of that, he's, um, I don't know if you've done cards yet. Bad news for the White Council, basically, it's, it's just, it's out, at this point, it feels like we've lost. And Harry's already had to work with Marcone to kind of sort some of this stuff out. He's obviously working with Thomas, who we love and adore, but not everyone in the council does. So it's just. That's their problem, not ours. <laughs> absolutely. Not, but not only have they so far, so, you know, they're behind the eight ball right now, but also Harry's kind of just digging his continuing to dig his own grave here and things aren't looking great for our intrepid hero as we head into chunk six the penultimate chunk of white knight you are so much better than me at this (laughs) all right so we have the chapter with harry talking about murphy and he says that murphy might not have been officially in charge of special investigations but i don't think that made much difference to many of the other detectives there she needed help and when she called, they came. Mm-hmm. End of story. And he goes on to talk about how a lot of Murphy's job involves telling stories where, oh, no, no, those reports of vampire attacks were actually the result of a hysterical drug-induced hallucination. Were trolls? It was a large and ugly man, probably drunk or on drugs. He got away, investigation ongoing. And it's kind of like he's mentioned this before about how part of the job of special investigations is to cue these supernatural instances towards the the commonly held normality of the real world 
he says, Murphy should be a novelist. She writes so much fiction. And he says that they'll pro- she'll probably tell them that this whole mess was terrorists because terrorists are hot right now. There weren't any corpses to clean up, just one wounded woman who probably needed to see a shrink more than a jail cell. I debated with myself over whether or not to suggest she add in a bit with a dog. People love dogs. You can never go wrong adding a dog to a story. I love that. Right, Mouse? Mouse looked unhappily up at me. So we learned that Mouse had to get sprayed at the, at the car wash because he had the scavus's blood all over him. Mouse's fur uh, keeps out just about everything, but when it finally gets wet, it soaks up about 50 gallons and stays that way for a long time. Poor floofy dog. Can you imagine how much that smells like wet dog? I'm just saying. He's a big old moose, and we love him, though. And I can't imagine Harry gets around to cleaning him as often as he does. No, no. But I mean, if he has to take him to the car wash, because he probably doesn't fit in Harry's shower. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a huge dog. And we learned that Harry is currently sitting at a, on a hospital bench near the emergency room with our uh, hero of the story, Mouse. And a security guard comes over. He makes a couple roadhouse jokes. And the security guard says, no dogs allowed, hospital rules. And then he asks if he's going to taunt him to death. And we learn a little bit of history. Mm-hmm. That uh, nightstick, it used to be a pin in a millstone or grinding stone in a smithy, which is fascinating. I didn't know that. I appreciate that. And so the, the security guard is looking at him like he's a little bit nutso. And he puts his hand on Harry's shoulder. And I love this mouse moment. Mouse lifts his head and looks at him. That's all. He didn't growl at the brawny kid. He didn't show his teeth. Like all the most dangerous people I know, he didn't feel the need to make any displays. He just sort of took notice with extreme prejudice. I love Mouse so much. And I love this story. We've gotten a lot of Mouse. And then Murphy comes up, saves the day, and she says, he's with us. The, handica- the dog is a handicapped assist animal. And Harry says, my mouth is partially paralyzed. It makes it hard for me to read. He's here to tell me the, with the, he's here to help me with the big words. Tell me I'm supposed to push or pull on doors, that kind of thing. Harry just, oh, he kills me. But I do love how Murphy talks to, talks to Mouse about, hey, if I knock him out <laughs> right on his head with a Sharpie, would you help him read it? Sweet Mouse. And so Murphy's like, what the hell are you doing here? And he says he's waiting for a call. He's right by the payphone. And Murphy says that they need to talk about Molly. What you did, Harry. She needed it. She needed it. The kids got power. She thinks that means she knows more than other people. That's dangerous. And he talks about how the melty fireball was something that he had practiced because it's not exactly useful in many battles. And he said that he kind of got a facey melty thing and it made an impression on him. Then he describes to Murphy why it's important. Because she got off to a bad start. She messed around inside people's heads because she thought it was the right thing to do. You can't do anything with magic that you don't believe in. When Molly did what she did, she believed that it was right, that she was doing the right thing. Think about her parents. Think about how far they're willing to go to do the right thing. I have to keep knocking her on her ass. If I don't, if I let her recover her balance before she gets smart enough to figure out why she should be doing things instead of just how to do them or if she can do them, she'll start doing the, air quotes, right thing again. She'll break the laws and they'll kill her. And you? That's a ways down on my worry list. And just that part, I mean, it reiterates to us about how little importance Harry puts in himself. He truly, truly does. He cares more about protecting this girl and teaching her so that she doesn't end up dead. And I think that's important, you know? And she says she's got, I mean, yeah, but also, hmm. I mean, his actions are 
protecting himself up. Yes. But, but you know, but his, that, it, that's at least his worries. He doesn't want her to die. Yeah, I do believe, I do believe. How many yeah. times has he gone into situations and been like, I die, I die. Mm-hmm. You know, people all, keep telling you, this all of them. is suicide. Well, it's the right thing to do. It's what's got to get done. Nobody else is going to do it. So I got to do it. And it's just, that's just Harry. And uh, he says that the girl has a thick skull. And he's like, I know, pot, kettle, black. Um, and then he talks about the destruction of the trash can. Murphy mentions what happened to the movie monster in the hotel. And she's wondering if he's losing control of himself. She knows he's always had a lot of anger, but it's gotten significantly worse in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And we've noticed that. We've discussed that. And he, he snarls at her and says, bullshit. And then he says, as a statement, not a question, you think I have anger issues. And she talks about the damage that his anger outburst did. And he says, all of which are in Marcone's building. And she says, it's not about Marcone. It's about the people who work there who won't be able to pay their bills because they're not working. Because the shops had to be closed for a couple of months. People get hurt. People got hurt. No one's face got melted. But that's not the point. And you know the score, Harry. You know the kind of damage you can do if you aren't careful. She talks about how her skills in martial arts versus her being a cop. She knows she can do horrible things, but she has to be careful about the power that she uses in that position. I'll tell that to my dentist, I said. Don't be petty, Harry. She says she's made mistakes and she's apologized to him for those mistakes. And we know how hard that is for her to know. I can't change what's happened and you're a better man than that. And he feels ashamed for having made that remark to Murphy. (laughs) I haven't forgiven her. uh, My point is, that you knew what kind of damage you could do. And if what you say is true in the moment you use your magic, you thought what you were doing was right. The exact same thing he says about Molly. You thought it was okay to destroy something because you were angry, even though it might hurt someone else who didn't deserve it. I felt another surge of rage and, and, holy crap. And then the sigil on his left hand begins to itch. And, you know, he, he thanks her. You know, because she's she sits, she's not accusing him of anything more. She's just sitting with him. She's just being his friend. And we learn about Elaine. They stitched her shut and they're topping off her tank, which I think is hilarious. And uh, Thomas said it might take her a few more days to get back on her feet, depending on how big a bite the scabus took, which is sort of a relief. And Murphy asks if she, you know, is he bothered that she stole us under? And he says she doesn't need to steal it, Murph. And even if she did, I got plenty of thunder. <laughs> I like that, that was the one I, I like this interaction a lot. Mm-hmm. She's calling him out appropriately. Yeah. You know, and she does it really cleverly as well. Like even like the language she uses. Mm-hmm. That line is so maybe it's said with more jest than it comes across to me, at least when I read it. But which line? That is that she's stealing her thunder. She's stealing her thunder. Like, come on. Like that is obviously not something Harry worries about. So maybe now that I think about it, it's and say it out loud. Yeah. It's, she was just kind of like very clearly fun and I didn't read it that way. Read it as she's just checking in and being like, you're not upset over that, right? Like she knows him, but, and just how he's like, I've got plenty of thunder. And, you know, cause she knows that too. She knows he has plenty of thunder. She definitely knows. Yeah. It, I don't know. It just seemed like a line that someone who doesn't know Harry would say, which is in <laughs> contrast with the rest of this chapter that I really like. Again, I, I don't like when I like Murphy, but I really like her in this chapter. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. No, you're good. You're good. 
Um, and then the phone rings and we learn whose phone call he was waiting on. And it is John Marcone. He asks if he had received the papers Harry faxed to him. Harry can use a fax machine and it doesn't blow up. That's really impressive to me. That's what I took out of that conversation. It's so old. Right? We still use fax machines at my work, though, which is awful. Marcone and, and Harry go back and forth about, you know, just do what I'm saying. Just what do you want? Are you going to be involved? And Marcone says, say please. Say please, Dresden. Ask me. Give me a break. We both know you need me, Dresden. And I'm too tired to dance. So Marcone is playing Harry's game right back at him. And he says, say pretty please. Pretty please. With the cherry on top. Fuck you. And Harry hangs up on him. <laughs> I mean. You know, and Murphy comes back to Harry being relieved that Elaine isn't going to be on her up on her feet again yet. And Harry says it's because she won't be involved in what comes next. Murphy says, you think that, you know, their Malvor is going to make a power play because obviously they are. I mean, come on. Well, yeah, because I said that in the intro. Well, that too. Uh, if anyone points out what happened to Mr. Scavis, they'll claim that he was trying to steal their thunder and that their operation was already complete. In other words, they won. We did all that thrashing around, trying to scot the scavis so that it wouldn't happen. But it's happening anyway. Depressing, isn't it? And so we learn about why this, what this means to the grand world. And if the white port is successful, they will no longer want to settle with the white council. They'll throw the support behind the reds and declare open season on the, the people with magical abilities. And they'll have more... Tens of several tens of thousands of disappearances and suicides over the next several years. And Murphy makes a good point. They'll just be statistics. So many people disappear already. It'll go unnoticed. And I feel like that is just the most depressing thing on the planet. But it's also accurate. And it'll also make the war harder on the White Council. So it'll just continue to deplete their powers and their stance. And they will lose. Yeah, their resources are already stretched so thin. Yeah, they need the help. They need the help from the white court. Or even their indifference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not sure how much they're actually going to help, but them doing nothing is... is much better than them doing lots of bad shit. And Harry points out that if the council loses, the, the vampires can do whatever the fuck they want. The reds will go to places where there is already chaos and corruption. And Stalin's stomping ground. I like that. You guys will be on your own. You guys? people living people and this upsets mouse understandably and he also says something that was absolutely in a hundred percent expected he said that isn't going to happen while i'm still alive he tells her his plan and she says you're crazy be positive murph you call it crazy call it unpredictable i can't go any higher than insane <laughs> you in murphy looked insulted what kind of question is that you're right what was i thinking we left together of course. I love that Murphy's always in on his harebrained schemes. Yeah, she's in so deep at this point. There's really a and she, but she's also she's got such a connection to Harry, and she, I think, as much as he wants to save her, she wants to save him as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, they both have that complex. Like, yes. They're both broke. They're both broken in ways that dovetail nicely with each other. Yeah, but they're fixers. It's what they do. Mm -hmm. Everything but that asshole in the mirror. Uh huh. So Harry stays up late making arrangements that would, he hoped, help him take out Madrigal and his Malvora buddy and put an end to the power struggle in the White Court. After he was through scheming, he dragged himself to bed and slept hard but not long. Too many dreams about all the things that could go wrong. This we haven't seen maybe for a novel or three, his nightmares. Mm -hmm. You see it 
living color, vivid re- recollections. And I wonder if that may also be the other occupant of his skull. He gets up and is rummaging around in his ice box with actual ice looking for breakfast. And Lash decides to swing on through for a pep talk. Uh, and they're always so helpful. And this conversation is, again, well, based on my leanings, this is one of my favorite conversations we've had, right? I told you, I've said multiple times how much I love the one-on-one you know, Billy and Harry are one of my favorite mm-hmm. duos, just their, their conversations, right? How they, yeah, they match wits and power levels. It's, it's asymmetrical, but it's, you know, Billy's not backing down. And this is kind of the same thing, very much an asymmetrical relationship, but Harry's not backing down either. Yeah. And she brings up Molly and says, do you really think it's possible for her to change? Who? I think that who is very pointed. Yes. He knows who she's talking about, but he's trying to spin it back. A hundred percent. Your pupil, of course. Do you really think she can change? Do you think she can take control of herself the way you would have her do? I turned away from the fridge. Lashiel stood in front of my empty fireplace, arms folded, frowning down at it. She was wearing the usual white tunic. Tunic. Though her hair seemed a little untidy. I hadn't slept all that long or all that well. Maybe she hadn't either. Love that. That he had a yeah, shitty night's that, sleep, and now she, and she also was relegated to shitty night's sleep? Yeah, I think that's... Yeah, I agree. I love that. I think it's important. Kind of proving what he's saying. Yeah. Um, he says, why do you ask? And she says that she's got patterns. She's established. She doesn't give a fuck about what other people think. She does her own thing, and in some cases, even replaces people's will with her own. She is, in short, by that definition, a bad guy. She did that once. Twice, if you want to get technical. <laughs> and there's kind of a comfortable silence here. I just really love the progression of this relationship as well. Mm-hmm. And this is going to come up again, but I have to read it here as well. I think there is only a slightly greater chance of your enemies killing you than your allies, my host. <laughs> you are a madman, which is too good. Um, I love that she agrees with Murphy. Because <laughs> Murphy says, you're crazy. And this is just, that's the Lash uh, interpretation of it. And I love it. Absolutely. Remember, she changed her hair color because there were too many blondes in his life. Yes. I have known mortals for millennia, my host. Few of them ever grew that bored. After Harry says that, that keeps life interesting. Uh, again, this is just all good. I mean, I could sit here and read this multiple times through with different voices just to really hammer home how much I love this. I do wish he had really hammered home the madman angle and poured coke onto his breakfast cereal (laughs) but he ate some dry cheerios and added the uh coke later it's like eating cheerios and then taking a sip of milk just weird and he tells lash i changed and her words come out quiet and poisonously bitter again we learn a lot in these few paragraphs Mm -hmm. she has free will she has choice that is what she is no she is what she does Ah. Like, that disdain for free will is great. Does she not have free will? She does not. She's an angel. Or, well. Oh, and she has to do what her host tells her? Well, they have rules, right? They, they were, all of the angels, fallen or otherwise, have very specific limits. They have great power, but they have limits. You live in space, basically. Exactly. So they do not have free will to operate however they want. Okay. Right? That's, that's why Lashiel's stuck in the coin. Gotcha. She can't just, you know. window to the wall okay uh i've said this quote on this pod like 17 times but it's one of my favorites and i use it every chance i get 
even though it comes from a transphobe turf douchebag, I'd like to think she was channeling Dumbledore, who's better than her. It is our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are, far more than our ability. Um, from a children's novel, there's a quote that I is very important in my life. Um, I work with children, so there's that. But just that idea of, you know, especially as, a, as in the athletic sphere, you see people with great talent that are just magical in the water, right? But how you go about your business, you know, that, that is described, that there, Dumbledore is describing Molly here. She has, yeah. she can choose to, to fix, she can't fix what she's done, but she can choose to move forward in a way that's positive. Yes. And so far, I'm not convinced she's doing it based on what we see in this novel, but she hasn't, you know, picked up the red lightsaber quite yet. <laughs> and again, Harry continues to spin this and says you know, she could ignore the choice, pretend it doesn't exist, or pretend that she doesn't have a choice when in fact she does. That's just another way of choosing. And Lashiel gives him a sharp look. The shadows shifted on her face as if the room had grown darker. I love this fucking chapter. Fair. We are not talking about me. I sipped Coke and said mildly, I know that. We're talking about Molly. <laughs> we are. I have a purpose here. A mission that has not changed. I do not change. Mm-hmm. The lady doth protest too much. Mm-hmm. Again, I love she spins around and has all the shadows growing, you know, mm -hmm. framing her as this badass that she knows she really is limited. Yeah. <laughs> he mentions the anger issues that, you know, people have noticed in him. And she you know, tells him that I've told you once before, my host, you are easier to talk to when you are asleep. And again, she thinks she's stamp, quits these double stamp, this conversation. And he spins it back around on her, how the, how the turn tables, because she's trying to leave on the mic drop. And he says, my head, my rules, we aren't finished. See, here's the thing. My inner evil twin might have a lot of impulses I'd rather not indulge, but he isn't a stranger. He's me. Yes, he is full of anger, full of the need for power, full of hate. He just doesn't lie to himself about it. However, constructive anger feel like is actually reasonable. <laughs> also known as passion. We're getting back into the Sith code here. Peace is a lie. There's only passion. Through passion, I gain strength. Through strength, I gain power. Through power, I gain victory. Through victory, my chains are broken. The force will set me free. Um, I'm telling you, Harry's a bad guy. What was I talking about here? The force. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Though passion has brought justice where there was savagery. Love that. And I just can't imagine you talking and talking to my evil twin like that without him ever saying anything back. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one doing any influencing here. Such arrogance. Do you think you could change the eternal mortal? I was brought to life by the word of the Almighty himself for a purpose so complex and fundamental that you could not begin to comprehend it. You are nothing, mortal. You are a flickering spark. You will be here and be gone. And the eons that come after when your very kind have dwindled and perished, you will be but one of uncounted legions of those whom I have seduced and destroyed. You cannot change me. You're right. I can't change Lashiel, but I couldn't prevent her from walking out the room either. Lady, you ain't Lashiel. Hey, just this chapter is so good. Uh-huh. And I lay it all out. He's talking to himself through this whole thing. Oh, yeah. Again, 
going back to the scene in the busted up apartment where Butters is standing there as he has this epiphany. Mouse is confused. Actually, Mouse probably can see it. But Mouse gets it. Mister would be confused if he gave a fuck. Yeah. He's just wondering why people are in his apartment. Exactly. Don't you guys have somewhere to be? <laughs> but again, it just fundamentally changes the idea of Lash, right? Like, yeah. It's it's very interesting. I, I I love this chapter. Just those conversations are great, even without that big spin at the end. But he is basically trying to do the same thing with Lashiel that he's doing with Molly. Yeah. You don't have to be a bad guy, which I don't think she is. I think we're judging her. Maybe she made some mistakes over the last couple millennia, bajillion years, but still never too late to change, baby girl. Um, yeah, and we get proof of what we had to. I mean, we had to have known this kind of, but it's good to see it where he says, how many shadows like you have ever stayed in a host like me for longer than a few weeks, longer than three years? Never. Granted, you are unusually stiff necked for a mortal. <laughs> Suicidally so, in fact. And again, he brings back that same beat when they were talking about Molly. And I love that he uses the, he joked about it being a diminutive, but it's not. It's, it is a casual, friendly nickname. Mm -hmm. Lash, just because you start out as one thing, it doesn't mean you can't grow into something else. She tells him to give her a call if he needs her. And she dips and he lets her this time. And now he has to shift his, his brain from convincing a demonic fallen angel presence to be a good guy to defeating the whole damn white court. Just another day in par paradise. Clock ticks down steadily, and there's nothing I could do but get ready and kill time, waiting for nightfall and the fight that would follow. All right. So uh, he does, he's doing his normal routine, letting Mr. Out, taking Mouse on a stroll, and tick tock, tick tock. The clock is just ticking by. He's cleaning off his staff. He recharges his battle rings and cleans his gun, loads it puts everything aside. He uses some leather cleaner on his coat. And we learned that he put the spells into the jacket with tattoo needles, which I think is cool. Mm -hmm. And he said, I did everything I could to avoid thinking about Anna Ash's corpse in that cheap, clean little hotel room shower while the time crawled by. At a quarter to six, somebody knocks at the door and it is everybody's favorite warden. Los has arrived. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Harry... A little difficult for Harry to get in. Shock me, shock me. And he says, I thought you are going to get that fixed. But he also realizes how strong the wards are. And Harry says, got to exercise the apprentice's talent somehow. Carlos makes an inappropriate comment about, you know, Harry's sex drive. And he's, I'll be the first to admit that I, sh I sure as hell find some uses for the girl. That girl is fine. And then he stopped, looked around nervously and like, uh, she's not here, right? <laughs> Which I love. The fear in his eyes. Oh, 100%. It's fantastic. Carlos greets Mouse with a shaken paw and a wagging tail. Tosses some catnip up to Mr. Every character in this series has a four to seven point handshake with, with Mouse. Uh-huh. And I fucking love it. <laughs> and he tells him, Ramirez, I just disapprove of recreational drug use. Okay, Dad. But since we all know who really runs this house, I'll just keep mm -hmm. on paying tribute lest I incur his nib's imperial displeasure. <laughs> Uh, we were all right. I mean, that's what we've been saying all along, that he runs the joint. And I mean, duh. For own the cat, you understand that that's not a joke. No, it's just reality. So he asked Carlos if he has any questions. He says, we're going to stomp into the middle of a big meeting of the white court, call him a couple of murderers, challenge him to a duel, and kill them right in front of all their friends and relatives, right? Right. <laughs> it has an advantage of simplicity. 
And he pulls out a freaking Desert Eagle handgun, which is a huge hand cannon. Call them names and kill them. What could possibly go wrong with that? We're officially in a ceasefire. And we, as we've announced ourselves as parties arriving to de- deliver challenge, they'd be in violation of the accords to kill us. Or we show up, they kill us, and then play like we left in good shape and vanished. And, oh dear, what a shame and, lo- and loss of all those young hot women that madman here he dressed and dragged good-looking young Ramirez down with him when he went. No. In the first place, the council would f- find out what happened one way or another. If any of them looked, Ebenezer would. How do you know? And we know. Why? Obviously. Because he's the... A. He's the Blackstaff. B. It's Harry. And it's Ebenezer. So, duh. And we know what he did with uh, Duke Ortega and the Soviet, old Soviet satellite, which I think is spectacular. I wonder, based on that, like, how much... Because wizards are so secretive, right? Like, that's yeah. a running joke, but also very true. How many people in the council? Obviously, the Merlin does. Yeah. Because how, how, he's mad at... I think he's mad at Ebenezer for stepping up and getting enough support for Harry at his yeah. own trial. Yeah. And then getting enough support to become part of the senior trial or senior council. Well, that is, it's, it's a gerontocracy. So he, he couldn't really stop him there, but, but remember how, how angry he was now, like how much of a dick he was to him. Yeah. And we talked about that and I've been thinking about that and talking to some listeners. And uh, I, I do think that a big part of that might be him going against his leadership at Harry's trial. Mm-hmm. Can't put that together later on the back end of this but i wonder how many it doesn't seem like carlos knows no nobody knows their relationship which is interesting it feels like i mean i think they i mean he knows that ebenezer was his mentor right does he is my question i don't know certainly he doesn't know he's the black staff no he doesn't but i mean i see it i see that he would know he was his mentor i feel like that's not something that harry would hide or be you know, hold. But there's no reason for anyone to share that. You know what I mean? Like, there isn't, like, a no. newsletter. So I wonder, it just seems he like... He and Los are friends. Yeah, but why wouldn't Carlos say, like, you know what I mean? Like... Maybe it, because it, Carlos's mentor wouldn't. We also don't know who Carlos's mentor is. That's true. You know? Because it's like, maybe Carlos has a mentor who wouldn't. Who wouldn't put on his neck on the line. Who would just be like, oh, too bad, so sad. Which I actually feel like a lot of people in the council would do. 100%. Right? 100%. And so that's why that's not his first, you know, how do you know he'd do that? It's like, because I know him and because he has done it before. Um, and that's just kind of how I feel about that. But like, I feel like Los's kind of go to is, well, you, you know, you, you're on your own. You don't have anybody to help you. But Harry knows differently, I guess you should say. That makes sense? Yeah. No, okay. I, like there's, there's no reason, which is sad, which yeah. we, we've talked about the life of the wizard being kind of sad. Like, yeah. It's a lonely existence. For all of them. Yeah. They're all independently alone. And it, part of that is how long you live. And there's just so much to it. That's just, I don't know, just, it's, it's sad. It is. That Carlos would doubt, you know, basically Harry's wizard dad coming to, mm-hmm. coming to take care of him, you know? I mean, it's obvious that he doesn't have the same experience or at least, you know, in this world that we've now created. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> have anyone who's taking care of him to that extent. Yeah. hundred percent. Which shows even more how much of a limb Harry went out on for Molly. Because most people don't have that experience. Most people don't have that. And he's the only one who could have, I believe. You know, because no one else is like that. They don't have that kind of, A, history, and B, drive. Because he Harry cares so damn much. And we talk about that all the time, about how he does this because he has to. He feels like he has to. So uh, Ramirez says, what if the whites don't know that 
we count on our second safety net. King Wraith doesn't want to get his finely accoutred ass deposed. Our challenge is going to remove a couple of the potential deposers. He'll want to, us to succeed. After that, I figure quid pro quo should be enough to get us out in one piece. So Harry's obviously thought about this and looks kind of process it through and say, so we're stabilizing his throne. That's what we're doing. And Harry, you know, again, Harry's thought this all through. We're helping a bad guy. Because it might help the council. It might help their folks. Again, enemy of our enemy. Exactly. He asks if they have any backup. And Harry says, maybe. Most of the wardens we know are in India. Because a bunch of bad guys attack some Big Daddy Rashaka. And they've been at it for two days. The only people in the States are the two of them. Ramirez's other wardens. Lucio's trainees. That's it. No trainees, Ramirez grunted. And my guys haven't had their cloaks for a year yet. They are not up for something like this yet. Half a dozen vamps in an alley, sure. But there's only three of them. Keep this simple. Swagger in. Look company. Not much. These predators, like the rest of them, they'll react to your body language that tells them that you're not food. They've got some major mental influence skills, so keep focused and make sure your head is clear. What's going to stop them from smashing us the second we win this duel? One of the things I love about working with Ramirez, the possibility of losing the duel simply didn't enter into his calculations. And then Harry explains that, you know, it's because it's the white court. They don't do anything direct. They're super shady, but they won't come directly after him, which we knew. And Carlos figures it out. We're the white king's cat's paws. <laughs> and, he, you know, he, he equates it to, to, pol to politics, and it truly is. And Ramirez says, can we do this? Can't be any harder than Halloween. We had a dinosaur then. He looks Harry up and down. Of course, we still do. <laughs> Goodness gracious. So Harry gives him a rundown about uh, Wraith Manor, the indoors, the outdoors. And, and he says that he asks really good questions. So it took several pages to do so. He talks about the deeps. And while they're in the midst of this conversation, the doorknob turns. Ramirez grabs for his gun. Harry grabs for his blasting rod. Because who the fuck is walking in the house? <laughs> But my first thought was, well, they got through the wards, so it has to be friend. Ramirez says, who is it? That backup we might be getting. I said quietly. The door banged open by inches, and Molly slipped inside. So Molly's our potential backup, apparently, which is interesting. And she has degothified herself and taken away all the bright colors, tucked her hair under a hat, and has her mother's first aid kit that she's taken into battle with her. And Harry reminds her, this is the third or fourth time in the last two days he's told her to stay home and she has ignored him. She says, I know, but I want to talk to you. I'm busy. I know, but I really need to talk to you, sir. Please. And he sends Ramirez out to go get fuel for the beetle. And uh, he tells her, shut the door. And she has to grunt and shove it at a few times, which, I mean, considering the door is so fucked up, you can barely shut the door. But you think you're ready to fight the white court? And he cuts her off again. She starts to speak. He cuts her off. Again, you're ignoring me. Again, you're here when I told you to stay away. But you think I'm a friggin' idiot too stupid to make these kinds of judgments on my own and you want to go with me anyway? It isn't like that. No? How many beads can you move, apprentice? How many beads? She pulls the bracelet off and starts working on the beads. And he, she says, Harry? Yes? Why does it matter? Regarding the bead bracelet. It matters if you want to go into this with me. She looks at him and says, but that's just it. I don't want to go. I don't want to see that. Blood like that. I don't remember what happened when you and Mother saved me from Arctis Tor, but I don't want to see more of that. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want to hurt anyone. Then why are you here? Because, because I need to do it. 
I know that what you're doing is necessary and it's right. And I know that you're doing it because you're the only one who can. And I want to help. You think you're strong enough to help? I think, I think it doesn't matter how strong my magic is. I know I don't, I don't know how to do these things like you do. The guns and battles and, but I know more than most. You know some. But you got to understand, kid, that won't mean much once, once things gets nasty. There's no time for thinking or second chances. All I can promise you is that I won't leave you when you need me. I'll do whatever you think I can. I'll stay here and ban the phone. I'll drive the car. I'll walk at the back and hold the flashlight. Whatever you want. But I can't sit at home being safe. I need to be a part of this. I need to help. And then her bracelet blows up and beads are flying all over the place. <laughs> and uh, it was the vampire, wasn't it? Seeing him die. I, I didn't just see it, Harry. I felt it. I can't explain it any better than that. Inside my head, I felt it the same way I felt that poor girl. But this was horrible. So she's a sensitive, we learn. It has some drawbacks. And he said, in this case, though, I'm glad you have it. Why? Congratulations, kid. You're ready. It wasn't about power, Molly. It was never about power. The beads weren't, weren't ever going to go up. Like I said, power had nothing to do with it. You didn't need that. You needed brains. You needed to open your eyes. You needed to be truly aware of how dangerous things are. You needed to understand your limitations. And you needed to know why you should set out on something like this. And that's 100% Harry is. You know, it's not, she's not doing this to show off his power. And he, he needed her to know that. And it scared the shit out of her, but it scares Harry all the time. You do it because you don't have a choice. You do it because it's unacceptable to walk away and still live with yourself later. Otherwise. We're using power for the sake of power, and power tends to corrupt. It isn't hard to love using it, Molly. You've got to go in with the right attitude or or the power starts using you. And we learned that Harry said this to her multiple times, and she usually repeats it back. But this is the first time she kind of slowed down and kind of thought about it. That's why you do it. That's why you help people. You're using the power for someone other than yourself. And he says there's a difference in knowing something and knowing it. He points to her head and then to her heart. And it's just, this is Harry in a nutshell. He's teaching her how he sees the world. And I think that's kind of cool, like how he's how he's kind of molding her in his image, but not, but he does, I don't think he necessarily sees it like that. I just see, think he sees it as how important that is. Oh, I think he absolutely does see it like that because that's what he thought Ebenezer was mm. doing, even though Ebenezer never said he was. And that's why he got so mad. Just like she got mad at him? No, no, no. But when, when Ebenezer showed that he wasn't, the guy that he wanted Harry to be. Oh, uh, gotcha. That really, you know, when he you know, was the Blackstaff was committing murder and doing all these things, Harry took that really harshly because he thought Ebenezer never said he was, but he thought Ebenezer was doing just that. Okay. And so I, I truly believe he is trying. No, it does. It does. I to, just, I, put, I mean, if that makes sense. I think because I, the way I see Harry is that Harry doesn't see himself as good enough for anything and he wants her to be better. That's kind of my view of that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so he says, that, okay, you're going to come along. You're going to be the driver. <laughs> you're going to stay with the car. What do I do? Keep your eyes and ears open. You know, she's basically going to be the lookout. Uh, Mouse is going to stay with her. Keep your eyes open. Use your head, your judgment. If things get bad and I haven't started blowing the whistle, run like hell. If it gets past 10 p.m. and you haven't heard from me, do the same. Get home and tell your folks. And she says, this is scary. And he says, and we're doing it anyway. That makes us brave, right? If we get away with it, if we don't, it just makes us stupid. Her eyes widened for a second, and then she let out a full-throated laugh. Ready? I asked her. Ready, sir. Good. All right, apprentice. 
get Mouse's lead on him, will you? Let's do it. Bridges with a lowercase a in my book. Yeah, mine too. I think we're well done. Yeah. Not that it matters, just those things have seemed to matter. So we head out to Chateau Wraith, big place north of the city, where we know that the higher-ups in the white court don't live here all the time, but of late they've seemed to operate in and around Chicago a lot, which I think says more about Harry than it does anything else. But it's a big plot point where they talk about it in Blood Rites, that Lara. The, um, but that's also where the wardens operated, too, because it's hard to track people there. Remember how the wardens, the reason they were doing it in Chicago? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's maybe it's just it works for the vampires, too. Yeah, I wonder. I, I don't know if Harry's brought it up yet. Maybe he has. But they talked about it, I know, in Death Masks about Chicago's a hub mm-hmm. for trains and, uh, you know, a number trains, of airlines. Trains, and automobiles. I don't know how many automobiles, but certainly the planes and trains and John Candy. R.I.P. But yeah, it is Chicago's growing in importance as Harry does, seemingly. And I wonder if that is like a function of the way things work magically, right? When things matter, they they matter big. That makes sense. Almost like a thaumaturgic, like, you know, when people think about Zeus, exists, right? Uh-huh. Same idea as Harry is gaining in power and yeah. influence, Chicago seems to be a hub where a lot of these people are showing up more often. I don't know. Maybe I'm stretching. But they head out to Chateau Wraith, and we get a you know a quick description that it's an enormous property with mature trees. And now the uh, since the new boss has moved in right behind the old boss, Lara has put up razor wire over the eight foot high stone walls that were already there. And we see her her security staff is much more effective and on point than Papa Rates were. He was using his power to basically beat down his underlings, whereas she shows competency and probably pays a lot of money and people want to work for her, which seems like there's a lesson therein as well. So Molly's driving and she stops about a quarter mile out and they hoof it in the rest of the way. Mouse looks unhappy because... He has to stay, and he's not going to be there to protect Harry. Here, Harry is stealing thunder, I think. Can't let anyone think the dog's the, the best wizard of the bunch. And um, he gives him a hug, tells him, you know, tells Mouse they'll be fine. And his tail thumps a little bit. He and Molly kind of cuddle a little bit and get worried together. And as they climb out of the car, Harry has himself a quick armoring montage. It takes like three seconds, but that's kind of how I visualized it. He gets the, you know, the duster, fl- you know, billowing in the air. And he and Ramirez get their weapons sorted out. Ramirez has a cool glove, probably the exact same glove that Ursher, Usher was wearing at the <laughs> Super Bowl halftime show. Halftime show? Yeah. The exact same one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Say what hand he puts it on. Because if he's doing it on his left hand... It's on his left hand, I think he said. Yeah, so it's the same glove. Perfect. Okay. It's a hand-me-down. From Ursher? No, from Ramirez. Oh. This is in the early aughts. Okay, Ursher's glove is a hand-me-down from Ramirez, okay. Ursher? I thought that was fine. I'm also too old to really know who anyone is. I think it was bad. Most of the songs like, I don't know this song. My friends are like, I don't know this one either. I know this one. I knew a lot of the noise... you know the noises like i'd heard them you know yeah i've i've puked puked in bushes to those songs blasting <laughs> into my eardrums but i didn't know who anyone was who showed up until the very end but i thought did fine the room i was in was everyone was kind of like yeah i was like yeah i have a solid gold i think it was 
one of our sisters uh, said the thing where we're now in the uh, age group for the, that's the target audience for the football halftime. The Super oh, yeah. Bowl halftime show. There was, uh-huh. It was Janet Jackson who called the whole hubbub. Like Janet Jackson hasn't been big since like what? Like 93? Yeah. She's great. She's talented. She got fucked. She got absolutely railroaded and she shouldn't have. Well, 100%. 100%. I, I just mean, it. it's, it's always been, I mean, hell, it was Prince. He, I mean, he ruined it for everyone. When Prince did Purple Rain, In the Rain, yeah, you were never going to top that. No, you, top you that. could never really top Prince, though. I mean, we, we should really just cancel it, quite frankly. <laughs> and Rihanna introducing her baby was fun. So, yeah, uh, this is how far my brain goes back. Big ones and last year. <laughs> I don't even remember who was in the Super Bowl last year. Eagles and Chiefs, maybe? Yeah. There you go. I do remember. I'm so proud of myself. Steel trap. <laughs> so they go through their arming montage. Ramirez offers Harry a grenade or two. The only time we've seen Harry around grenades is when Susan dropped one down the sewer shaft. That's the only time I can remember one, at least. Uh, I'm not comfortable with hand grenades. He doesn't like hand grenades or boats or... Definitely doesn't like boats. Probably snakes. I mean, I'm not a... None of us are real true fans of snakes, let's be honest. Yeah, Ramirez was about... Or did ask Molly. He turned to ask Molly if she wanted a a grenade, and the car was gone. The engine was still idling audibly, but it was gone. Hey, not a bad veil. Pretty damn good, in fact. She's got a gift. Oops. Now go on. I got to keep compensating for the dust you're kicking up, and it's a pain. Eyes open. Use your head. You too. Don't tell him to start new things now. You'll just confuse him. <laughs> Ramirez starts wagging his tongue over Molly as they're walking away because she's pretty and she's got talent. She's seen anyone. Not since she drilled holes in her last boyfriend's psyche and drove him insane. <laughs> right. They head up to the gate <laughs> and it starts to open on its own accord. But halfway through, it lets out a whine and a puff of smoke. That you? I took out the lock too. And the cameras that can see the gate, just in case. <laughs> nice. Didn't feel a thing. De nada. I'm the best. Ugh. They're great. And the characters. Yeah. And I, I love how they progress here, even, even through these couple chapters. And as we get moving forward mm-hmm. as well, their relationship is one that i love and it's interesting here is that is the there's a limo you know a rolls royce fancy schmancy limo that comes up and a security guard pops out and he says dresden yeah ramirez the one and only you're armed heavily <laughs> he tells him to get in the car and, and he's supposed to come collect them and that's not how the accords work right miss wraith can say that she wants this guy to pick her up but that's not the same thing as miss wraith picking them up so they say they'll they're gonna walk they're not gonna get in a car with anybody a la mr pence saving democracy hmm. i'm not getting in that car and they do the same they have an argument where lara wants to big time them and have them get in the car when she's already in there and they're refusing to do it to big time her which is just a mm-hmm. great little back and forth again it's a it's a, every Everything is a battle, especially with the white court, but with any predator, any powerful being. And that's a big part of why he does all that shenanigans with Marcone, right? A hundred percent. Just those little victories. It's a pissing contest, but it's also a, I'm not backing down from you. Yeah. Those chipping away at that facade of power that maybe not Mm -hmm. facade, that actual mountain of power does matter in the aggregate. And so she steps out of the, the Rolls Royce kind of, basically giving them the victory here. <laughs> like the line, sheer sensual femininity gathered around her in a silent, unseen thundercloud. Good description of a succubus 
on the prowl, not even on the prowl, just ready to pounce, I guess, on the cruise. The cruise. They greet each other, and we find out through Lara's succubus intuition that Warden Ramirez, despite all his braggadocio and boasting about his prowess with the lady folk, is a virgin. Maybe he's saving himself. He's hung out on third base a couple times, you know, whatever. Not my style, but you know what? You do you, Los. <laughs> Latino and probably Catholic, you know. It's such a funny interaction, though. It is just because of, of how it turns yeah. his entire persona on its head. But it, what it also, because the thing is, it, it turns his persona on its head and adds another risk for this adventure. Yeah, because he's more susceptible. Or he's more, more susceptible and also more um, shiny. Yeah. He's yummier to the white core. I mean, I, I do think, I don't know, it, it, it's funny, mm -hmm. but it adds, it adds a, another level of danger. Oh, absolutely. But I also love how, you know, Ramirez is all, obviously, we have the interactions with Harry moving forward where he's a little embarrassed for that to come out in this scenario, but he immediately gets back to business yeah. and says, I am not food and goes into the soul gaze, right? Mm -hmm. So even in this moment where they're kind of knocking him down a peg, he immediately, you know, shows his competency, which I like. And it also shows some major balls soul gazing her. Oh, absolutely. Like, damn. Yeah, we've seen, we've heard of what happens when people soul gaze Harry. And he, you know, to all accounts that we have so far, is not a murderous, murdering, murderful monster. Yeah. So who knows what could have happened there. But yeah, and after that, she gives her pledge of safe conduct, which as we know, is more than just words. Mm -hmm. she's now putting her reputation and her standing in the community at risk if they are not treated as guests until they act otherwise. So they at least have a little window here where they're going to be worrying, but at least take a breath a little bit. Mm -hmm. And a virgin, Carlos, <laughs> she's lying. She's evil. She's really evil and lying. <laughs> okay, not important. <laughs> so funny. But honestly, whatever, man, you do you. Well, and it, the thing is, too, it's a lot of it is just like it's an entertaining character development. Just because of, of how he acted before. Exactly. Because of his 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 attitude towards everything and like how he, he acts like he's so slick. And he's like, oh, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, you know, we talk a lot about like, you know, controlling your sexuality and being, you know, that's another way to control it is to not, right? Like, he's totally entitled to that. Yeah. And, but it because of his characterization up to this point. It's is why it works. Yeah. Um, it's not, I don't think it's yikesy in that because of, no. of how it, in, you know, it interacts with his character up till now. But, and I don't want to feel bad about whatever they're doing in life. You do you. You're in charge of your body. Um, although it sounds like he's not necessarily agreeing with that uh, line of activity. Mm -hmm. They hop in the limo. She climbs in all poise and beauty and gorgeous gray eyes. Step into my limo, said the spider to the fly. And we did. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So the, the limo rolls past the house and Lara confirms the conclave is being held in the deeps. Less walking for everyone that way. And, you know, Harry's just making snarky remarks about the castle looking house where it's always nice to know you're living somewhere that could withstand a besieging army of bohemian mercenaries if, I had, if it had to. Or American wizards. <laughs> Got it. Um, so Lara gets out of the limo 
Ramirez and Harry sits, lo- sits still for a second. And Harry says, that is an awfully lovely woman. I thought I should let you know, kid, in case your inexperience had blinded you to the fact. Lying. Ramirez stated, blushing. Evil. I snickered and slid out of the car to follow Lara into the woods beside the gravel lane. So the last time Harry was coming through here, he was following a tracking spell. But this time there's an actual red carpet. Lamps were lit along the way. And he notices they're not lamps. They are small crystal cages containing fairies, tiny pixies, trapped and miserable crouched in the cages. Between each cage knelt more prisoners. Humans, bound by nothing more than a single strand of white silk about their throats, tied to a peg driven into the earth in front of them. And so it's men and women, various types, hair color, body types, every single one of them beautiful, their eyes lowered as they knelt quietly. It's a bunch of thralls. One of them has nail marks and teeth marks on their neck. And we learn that it was Madeline. And rather than just leave him there, Lara says, get him inside so when she leaves, she won't kill him, which is interesting. They continue to walk, and Harry gets angrier with every step. They're willing, Dresden, all of them. I'm sure they are. Now, there is no shortage of of mortals who long to kneel before another wizard. There never has been. I'm sure they all knew that. They might die by doing it. It happens at these meetings. Guests have no need to dispose of a body, since as hosts, we are responsible for such necessities. As a result, many of our visitors make no effort to control themselves. You're responsible, all right. What about the little folk? They trespassed on our land. Most would simply have killed them rather than pressing them into service. Yeah, you're all heart. Where, where there is life, there is hope, Justin. <laughs> My father's policies on such matters have changed of late. Death is vouch when it can be avoided. Alternative courses are far more profitable and agreeable to all involved. It is for precisely that reason that my father knew or folk. So a little bit of the insight into why the white court is working with the white council. They're looking to. They haven't. I don't think they have yet. They're looking to. They're looking to do that. Um, and they continue to walk. And there are guards outside, a couple of deer stands with additional guards. So this is a heavily guarded area. Larence tells him to wait at the entrance. They'll send someone when the White King is ready to receive him. And Ramirez is observant and says, you've met her before. Where? Set of a porn movie. She was acting. What were you doing? Stuntman. Uh, I'd been hired by the producer to find out why people involved with the movie were getting killed. Did you? Yeah. So did you and she? No. You can tell from how I'm breathing and possessed of my own will. And then Justine arrives. She's moving and walking, and she's not in a wheelchair like we saw her last. But she grabs his hand, tightens hard on a quick measured sequence of shave and a haircut. Took Harry a second to realize what it was. And he squeezed back for sh- uh, on the beats for six, six bits. I thought it was two bits. Yeah, me too. But for anybody who doesn't know, it's that... Inflation, thanks, Biden. But it does tune. It's that, like, that... Shave and a haircut. Two bits. Two bits. So obviously she's trying to send him a message. And Harry says, I'm sure any man would be delighted to see you. She asks them to accompany her. And so they move to a mark on the ground in shock. Here, said in a quiet but not at all dreamy voice. We can't be overheard from here. What's going on? How are you walking around like this? It doesn't matter right now. I'm better. You aren't crazy, are you? You nearly scratched my eyes out that one time. Medication. It isn't. Look, I'm all right for now. I need you to listen to me. Lara wished me to tell you what to expect. Right now, Lord Scavis is below calling for an end to any plans for negotiations with the council. 
citing the work of his son as an illustration of the prophet of continuing hostilities. So we learned that the Scabus that got killed is the uh, parent to the house of Scabus. Please. Mm-hmm. We also learned that the head of Malvera is Lady Cesarina Malvora, and her son Vittorio will be quite insulted by Lord Scabus's lies about all the hard work he and Madrigal Wraith did. When does Lara want me to make my entrance? She told me that you would know that when was best. Right. Take me to where I can hear them. That's the problem. They're speaking ancient, ancient Etrusian. I can follow enough of it to give you an idea what... It isn't a problem. Is it? I thought towards Lashiel's shadow. Naturally not, my host, came the ghostly reply. Groovy, I said. Thanks, Lash. A startled second passed. Then she replied, you are welcome. So I don't know if she's not used to being faked or what. Yeah. She's because she's usually like this force fighting against and he he wants to work with her and be buddies. I love that. I love it. It's also very polite, you know. Um, And so he moves over and he can hear what they're saying. His ears hear it as Etrusian. His his head hears it as English, much like with the ghouls, uh, with ancient Sumerian. And so Lord Scavis is saying that the mortal freaks and their ilk stand on the brink of destruction. Now is the time to tighten our grip and neuter the kine once and for all. So basically, Scavis is saying, you know, look, we can get fucking rid of them. We'll use what they figured out about travel and communication, and we can bring them into control. Only a fool would let it slip between his impotent fingers, my king. Only a fool would make such a pathetic claim. The crown, Wraith interjected, recognizes Cesarina, the Lady Melvora. Thank you, my king. Well, I cannot help but admire my lord Scavis's audacity. I fear that I have no choice but to cut short his attempt to steal glory, not his own, from the honorable house of Melbora. So they give the whole rundown about how Vito and Madrigal did all this shit to get rid of all of the kind with skills. Uh, basically, you know, the, the freaks, you know, the freaks are weak. Now is the time to finish them now and forever. Despite the fact that the White King thinks otherwise, many things change, old king. There was a booming sound, maybe a fist slamming down on the arm of a throne. This does not. You have violated my commands and undermined my policies. That is treason, Cesarina. Is it, O King? Or is it treason to our very blood to show mercy to an en- enemy who is upon the brink of defeat? I would be willing to forgive excessive zeal, Cesarina. I am less inclined to tolerate the stupidity behind this mindless provocation. So there's a little bit of the political bullshit going back between Malvoras and the Wraiths and the Scavis. We are strong, and the strong do as they wish. Who shall call us to task for it, O king? You? If that wasn't a straight line, my name isn't Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. (coughs) And he makes a loud noise, sends fire out into the great room, uh, six, five or six inches high, down the tunnel, on a red carpet of his very own. He and Ramirez walk in, and the cavern is full of vampires. And he realizes that uh, Vittorino Malvora is gray cloak, with Madrigal Wraith not 30 feet away. The murdering bastards were staring at us, mouths open in shock. Vittorino Malvora, I called my voice ringing with wrath in the echoing cavern. Madrigal Wraith, I am Harry Dresden, warden of the White Council of Wizards. Under the Uncelia Accords, I accuse you of murder in a time of peace and challenge you here and now before these witnesses to trial by combat. He slams his staff down and hellfire floods the runes to the death. Utter silence fell on the deeps. Damn, there ain't nothing like a good entrance. 
It's pretty spectacular. It is pretty spectacular. I love that. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people don't go in for audiobooks. The big moments, at least, I encourage every Dresden fan <laughs> to listen. Like that one right there. It's very well done. Is so good. And maybe, you know, you could say that the big acting is easier than the small acting, just, mm-hmm. you know, in general. And that might be that's true. But the big moments in this series. Marcer's it's just a lot of fun. Oh, it's a lot of fun. But also Marcer's fucking rushes them. Yeah. Like there are scenes in this series that are my favorite pieces of acting. <laughs> period. In any, yeah. in any media. It, it's that good. And obviously the story, the, the story is incredible to back that up, but he just fucking yeah. crushes it. Well, it, it, it helps that the story is well-written most definitely, but it is very well done. And it, and it really gives you a full experience of the stories. And I appreciate that. Yeah, And I love doing both. That's one of the cool things about doing this project is mm-hmm. I, ne- I mean, I never would have done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I never would have read it and listened to it. Yeah. You know, often multiple times this week, I didn't get through it multiple times. Like, I did finish it a full time and I read the first chapter like three times because I got lost. Uh, I had a, a lifeguard training class all Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was a long week, Ooh. which is why some of the editing was a little less crisp this week. I tried to get after it Friday night as best I could. And then I was like, I have to go to bed. And I woke up late for my lifeguard class. Luckily, she the, the instructor let me make it up after <laughs> later in the day. And so I got home Saturday. I was like, oh, I'll try to fix it. And I was like, nope. So <laughs> unfortunately, it is what it is. I don't think it's that bad. I did give it a thorough twice over, but wasn't as crisp. <laughs> Either way, reading it and listening to it, it just gives you such a different feeling. It's the same story, right? It's just, it's interesting what pop. But different things yeah. pop, yeah. I mean, it is truly a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's a good story to listen to because there's some like i i do a lot of audiobooks and podcasts i also read ridiculously like my freaking kindle has so many books on it but it's just like i i always used to joke around that i would always have three books going a book book a kindle book and an audiobook three different books completely different Mm -hmm. Uh, but there are certain books that just are are better on audiobook like sarah j mass i think is what her name is uh who does the uh she wrote the Quarter Thorn and Roses book. Mm-hmm. And I tried to read those and it was just so hard because they are so bulky, but the audiobooks are wonderful. And so I, you know, I blew through that, flown through those audiobooks a couple times. So it's just kind of like that certain books work so well with audiobooks. And it's definitely, this is definitely one of those series for me. And it's definitely, obviously, that, you know, the novels themselves, you know, the, the authors get need to get a ton of credit, but also the narrators bring it to light. Mm-hmm. You listen to a book with a, bad narrator and it's awful one so like four four people three of them like friends and one was like a boss that like really meant a lot to me in my youth one of their favorite books is the gunslinger by stephen king Mm -hmm. and it has a the second best opening line of a novel that i've come across so far which is the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed after i know that but i know nothing else about the book because i've tried to read it and the, the audiobook is just not it didn't hook me. I'm not saying, don't want to say it's bad. It's just not me. And I, I've tried multiple times. I have the physical novel. I have it on sitting on my um, Audible account. It's just one of those books that I want to get through. You know, it's culturally, mm-hmm. I don't want to say important, but it, you know, culturally. Uh, Significant. Culturally saturated. Yes. 
Uh, well, I, don't, I don't want to give it too much credit because I don't know. But a lot of people really love that novel. And I just couldn't get into it. And like you're saying about Corthorne and Roses, I tried to read A Song of Ice and Fire. And you have, I, ha- I at least had to read every page twice. Mm. It is so dense. Yeah. Early on, it's not as bad. But as they get into the deeper novels, like the first time through, I read it and it was like, fine. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize how much I missed. Yeah. <laughs> tried, to, tried to go back through it. It's just like, holy shit. Like, no, no, I, I didn't even read this book. Uh, there's just so much. It's so dense. Yeah. The funny thing is, there's also the flip side. We're like, mm-hmm. my favorite book ever is Pride and Prejudice. I cannot listen to that book on audiobook because it's never good enough. I believe it. It's just, it's just, you know, one of those things where I've read that book probably 200 times at least. First time I read it, I was in fourth grade. I cannot listen to the audiobook on. And not because it's a bad book. It's a wonderful book. It's brilliant and wonderful. Obviously, it's my favorite book, but it's just, I can't do it. And I do a lot of audiobooks because when I, I used to drive a lot more. But yeah, this was, this series is an example of great writing. And great narration, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. And it's it's amazing that this was, again, we started in Stormfront. Mm-hmm. This is more probably analysis, but still. It was started in Stormfront where it was his first published novel. Yeah. And it was Marsters, you know, he was a working actor with some success. But it was his first narration. Mm-hmm. His first time doing an audiobook. And so there were hiccups and it was, you know, it was. And also the, because it wasn't a big series yet, the production value wasn't as high. Yeah. You know, which you go back to the podcast was on fire and it wasn't my fault. <laughs> and the early episodes are similarly new and exciting. You know, they're, everyone's figuring it out. And, but it's just been, it was, it's really cool to go through the series and kind of grow with the author. Mm-hmm. As again, I, just, this novel, Marsters goes from, yeah, you know, I liked him as Spike to, my God, this man is fucking brilliant. <laughs> you know, if, they, if they ever do a live action, he, you know, he's obviously too old to do harry at this point it could be bob he would yeah he would have to be bob or if they did a animated he could be he harry yeah need, need to be harry yeah. blackstone copperfield dresden in my mind at least. either way we digress we do once in a while but that that digression was all about dresden files it was. At least. that was that, that's really impressive that is that is impressive for us can we squeeze in a buffy reference here um i mean we did mention he was spike does that count oh, there you go five by five <laughs> madrigal is reasonably terrified <laughs> empty nights this isn't happening time to pay the piper prick <laughs> they head in there and, and i love this because they're heading into the lion's den here 100 like, they are outnumbered by a gazillion they're relying on an agreement made after all of these people tenuous tenuous agreement at best let's be honest and it's a tenuous agreement that was written in the 90s the unsealing accords are from like the 90s 1990s yeah which is, I feel, is really interesting to this story. The late, the the late 20th century? The late 20th century, <laughs> indeed. Mm-hmm. That is interesting, though. I mean, that's a whole other ball of mess. But it says more about Mab than anyone else, I guess, because they are the Uncelia Accords. But also, says a lot about these two fucking wardens here. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, are, they are going testicles first into this, <laughs> into this cave. Yes. They're doing the Vince McMahon walk down the, uh, down the aisle. <laughs> exactly. You don't know what I'm talking about. You're not an American or you're... Not a fan of Vincent Mann, who's a terrible human being and also probably a rapist. And a sex trafficker as well. But the man could walk into a, down a wrestling uh, ramp. He does have a way, he does have a way with entrances. He really does. And the way he walks is just so absurd, but it's perfect in character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either way, that's what these two wardens of the White Council are doing as they head in here. And 
it's great because that line you mentioned last chapter, he doesn't specify what language he's speaking in. Mm -hmm. But in this chapter, he clarifies whenever he's speaking in English. Yeah. So I'd like to think he gave that badass entrance in ancient Etruscan. That would be pretty rad. Which again, just shows how Ramirez is just going with the flow, recognizing this ain't cool, but he's mm -hmm. a badass. But I he like does question it. Oh, of course. Why? Again, which shows his confidence still. I do like that Madrigal also struggles in Etruscan like Harry does in Latin. Oh my God, I loved that. It's just a funny touch. Well, and that the, the um, because Lashiel's translation is so perfect, mm -hmm. he just sounds like it, he's not good at that language. Oh yeah, because she's translating Madrigal appropriately. Yeah, which is good. But that's also what everyone else is yeah. in the room, which again, just kind of undercuts Madrigal even more. He's already working against his own house. He's a little bitch. He's for some reason brought in the guy that's going to bring this whole fucking thing down. But the other thing is, is that it, um, it, it kind of gives Harry more power almost, but it also is an example of the fantastic writing. Mm -hmm. Like it's just such a small detail, but it's fucking brillant. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. It, it also just goes to show his outsider status even more mm -hmm. and kind of explain his motivation for, going against his house and working with he's in the powerful house, but he's outside of it. Mm -hmm. He's not, you know, clearly he's not really super involved in the power structure. He hasn't learned the language by now. Right. So he, um, just like or, Harry isn't super involved in the power structure. Exactly. The, the kind of, uh, juxtaposition parallel, 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 parallels. I do. I do enjoy it. We do. We don't have any empathy or sympathy for him, of course, no. but it is funny and interesting. And uh, they say they want weapons. So they're going to send to the chateau to get weapons. And so uh, Lara says, drinks. Or I guess it was Lord Wraith who said, music then. And another round of wine. Now Vora goes back to Kibitz with her coup attempt uh, supporters here. And Ramirez says like, hey, what, what the hell's going on? Because he has no fucking clue. Yeah. He hears people yelling in gibberish and then Madrigal says, empty night. So he gives him the quick rundown. I do like that even when he's describing it to Ramirez, he calls humans or the wizard, the magical community freaks. Mm -hmm. Just funny. Uh, again, he just does it too perfectly for his own good. And get a Beavis and Butthead reference, which I think makes sense for... Uh, mm -hmm. For Los? Heck yeah. A little bit early because he's got to be born... He's a millennial. He's born mid mid 90s right if he's 25 in the mid 20s i mean mid uh mid uh not mid 20s 25 Aught, mid aughts in the mid aughts no he's born in the early 80s because i was hang on 20... let me do some math here yeah yeah no no no. 15 and 25 are different things huh aughts zeros why did i lose money at poker today yep you are right because he's, he's about the same age as me <laughs> yeah yeah i thought he was young and spry hey it was 20 years ago. Let's I was young and spry 20 years ago, too. Itch. Weren't we all? Weren't we all? But years of 2024, which a few years away from my 20-year college. I hit mine. <laughs> and Harry connects it back to the greater ongoing serialized story here where things aren't right in the magical community. Right? Things, are, things are wonky. Mm -hmm. And he realizes that's why Lara is using pixies instead of lamps here because she wants to see what what the fairy courts will do about that because they didn't react 
when the the red court of vampires trespassed on their land going through their ways so it's all very and remember we saw with lily and mave last novel that they're working together they're worried about mab things are funky things are wonky things are amiss something something strange is amiss at the circle k exactly i mean truly how many how many 90s and early 2000s references can we fit into one episode well i'm just proud of ourselves myself for not going off on an hour and a half long tangent of water polo so far i mean hey so that's good keep your fingers crossed here babe <laughs> but i we have made that that circle k reference before though oh i make it every week it's fantastic something is always afoot at the circle k okay um so as we're waiting for the weapons that the bad guys will use in this, I guess the the antagonist, Harry, earlier in this novel decided that he's not sure who's good and bad, but the people who are opposed to him are yeah. waiting on weapons from the chateau. And Carlos, the man with the best timing in the world, I guess, you know, they, they talk a little bit about strategy, but after they get through that, he says like, he kind of snaps at him first. And then Harry's like, whoa, what's going on, bro? I've only been lying to you for the last fucking fucking five years. And Amira says, come on, man. You're lying to me. You're lying to the council. I'm not an idiot, man. You can barely get by in Latin, but you speak ghoul, ancient Etruscan. There's more going on here than a duel in internal politics. You're involved with these things more than you should be. You know them too well, which is a really fucking disturbing thing to realize, considering we're talking about a race of mind benders, which, yeah, fair. We've seen Harry, I guess this is, we can talk about this later, but communication. Carlos, this is one, one hell of a time to start having doubts about my loyalty. I'm not backing out on you. Too late for that, even if I wanted to. But this whole thing feels like more and more like a, this whole thing feels more and more like a setup every second. I couldn't argue with him there. I was pretty sure it was. They square off. Vito and Madrigal have their weapons. Ramirez has his usher glove. <laughs> Harry has a staff. And for some reason, Lord Wraith hangs out on his throne and lets Lara do the talking. Fair. He says, gentlemen, stand ready. Let no weapon of any kind be drawn until this cloth reaches the earth. He draws back his duster in an Old West. Mm -hmm. I just, I, this is great. In Old West style, doo -doo -doo, tumbleweed going across, you know, he's, cle <laughs> he's clearing his blasting rod. She flicks the scarlet silk cloth in the air. And Ramirez was right. This was a trap. We tried to prepare, but we're still not sure what's going to happen. But like the man said, it was too late to back out now. The cloth hit the floor, and my hand blurred for my blasting rod as the duel began. Dun, dun, dun. And four days later, Lissy gets to find out what happened. Hooray! Bastard. <laughs> oh, let's pop over to some analysis. Analysis. <laughs> Well, what'd you think? Instant reaction here. Liked it. I thought it was a great couple of chapters. It really, it was more like we always talk about how there are some chapters that are development chapters. There are some chapters that are action chapters. This was 900,000% a development chapter. Oh, yeah. And it was really well done, I believe, in my opinion. Moving all the pieces around for sure. And kind of clarifying some stuff for us and, and providing a little bit of insight into relationships and things like that, which is important. Yeah, there were great moments 
with Harry and Lash, Harry and Ramirez, Harry and Molly mm-hmm. had a good back and forth. Like it's just these are the. It's funny because when we have these small ones, I love them. Mm-hmm. And then we have the gigantic set piece with a dinosaur destroying cars and tearing his way through a huge magical spell. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is always greener, but it it really is just so. Again, this is the stuff that wasn't great early on. Mm-hmm. The first couple novels was where the character interactions just felt kind of wooden. Mm-hmm. And, and these were like, we progressed, we learned a ton. Even that last interaction where Carlos is like, dude, we're going to fucking have to talk about this. Right now I'm here and we're going to battle. But after we yeah. kill these motherfuckers. But it's just like, me. but it's it's a very, now that you say that, it's a great parallel to when he does the glowing ball of fire at Molly. Mm-hmm. And Murphy says, we're going to talk about it. what Murphy said. Yeah. Oh, no. That, no, I love that. It's a, I mean, there's a lot of those parallels in this novel. There are that are, are really interesting. Like kind of, it, it, you know, it, it rhymes. But it's, it's great because it kind of shows you. I got my George Lucas in. It shows you how the characters are ingrained. And this is how Harry deals with things and deals with people and deals with conflict. But he also is willing to talk about it later. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's very interesting but it, it goes back to the writing the writing is is wonderful and i am a total fan of it about how he creates a story how he crafts these characters and it's i mean it's fantastic yeah and it's earned which again when mm-hmm. you've gone through nine novels of setup it's easier to earn these things but yeah we've seen carlos a couple of times mm-hmm. and this conversation felt earned yeah like i, I really do love and that again is like you're saying it's just a testament to his skill um, this is not even a Dresden Files podcast. It's just a writing appreciation. <laughs> bow down, at, you know, at uh, Mrs. Butcher's Baby Boy's authorship. <laughs> it really is just in- incredible. And again, like I said, this of the seventeen novels, this is not super high on my list. It's not in the middle. Mm-hmm. This isn't like one of my favorites. And you've heard how like much I love every single day we do this. It's like, oh my mm-hmm. god, this is great. This is great. Yeah, which is really cool for me to see. I wonder how the other ones will hold up to the same level of scrutiny. Yeah. Very cool. It's, it's also, it's interesting too, because like the conversations we have about the different characters, we're like, I don't like her. Fuck, I like her. You know, shit like that. Just because it's like, it's because we are delving into this, but it also gives a really good um, view of how people view characters, you know? And it's just like, because, I mean, we're just two completely different mindsets in a lot of ways, but kind of talking through things. And it's just like, I will never like Elaine. She can be the second coming. Don't care. I will never like Elaine. <laughs> But it's also like how you used to not like Murphy and now you're like, you begrudgingly give her props every now and again. It's just, you know, it's, it, that's kind of the coolest part about the, the doing this podcast is that we get to talk about all of these little fiddly bits and, you know, we notice more than we would if we were just burning through the reading them. Yeah. Like I said, going through it a couple of times with a couple of different angles uh-huh. is it, a lot of these things that I'm like, my mind is being blown on. Uh-huh. People, some of our listeners are like, yeah, I got that. still i love it uh because again the way i i first inhaled these was mostly through audiobooks while driving yeah or while doing chores or something right like i that's how i that's how i read my 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 time that i dedicated to reading was my my uh commute to my multiple jobs where they're all far away whereas now i get to actually sit down and read the words and it's an interesting the things i'm picking up and and it's really, really cool. 
Well, and we also talk about the different capitalizations and the different like the the cadence of how things are written with the periods and the and the different punctuation. I mean, it's just it's interesting. And our high school English teachers would be so proud of us, Joshi. <laughs> Hope so. Some of them, maybe. Miss Curtis probably. <laughs> she probably I limped would. into I limped into class with a a sprained ankle one day, like two minutes late, and she made me go to the office, so I went home. <laughs> It was a tardy lockout policy and you get a detention. I never got a detention, but you get a, the, the threat was you get a detention if you, you're tardy, but a truancy was a detention. So not really incentivizing good policies here. So I went home whenever I was late. <laughs> we lived like right across the street, but still, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't like a cool, bad kid smoking cigarettes and you know, under the bleachers <laughs> with my leather coat in my, my, my pink lady under the bleachers. <laughs> uh, by any means, I was definitely a nerdy, you know, whatever. But I also made reasonable choices. Once. Oh, heck yeah. Either way. I didn't know you had this, Curtis. Freshman year. Yeah, me too. Uh, I had a thought while you were talking about the mm -hmm. first chapter there where you said Molly thought she was doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. Based on her actions in this novel, I'm not convinced that she doesn't still think she was doing the right thing. She does. She did. Until... That conversation, the come to Jesus talk, mm -hmm. I think she th did think she was doing the right thing, coming in, trying to help and all of this stuff. But it's just like, she didn't know that she didn't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, but that it kind of colors why she's so fucking annoying mm -hmm. in this novel, because I, I do think she realized what she did to boyfriend Nelson mm -hmm. was no bueno. But I think she really in her heart thought that everyone was being dumb and crazy about Rosie. Rosie. Like, I think she still, until that conversation, maybe thought that she was helping Rosie, which is annoying. And, but it also explains some of her judgment. No, but did she, because of all the trouble she got into, like all the trouble she got into, I would imagine that, you know, she'd at least be questioning it. And the fact that Harry's putting his own life on the line. I don't think she's, I don't think she's stupid. I think she's a teenager. Oh yeah. No, I, I wasn't saying stupid. I just think yeah. wrong and annoying. Which is the same thing, same exact word as teenager. <laughs> Eskimos have a lot of words for snow. We have lots of words for teenager. Well, but the thing is, is, is we were all teenagers and we we're all fucking idiots at one point or another. Oh, I think that's why I think that because I, I cringe. It's been, how old am I? It's been 20 <laughs> years since I was a teenager. And Jesus Christ, dude, get your shit together. <laughs> so there's not a judgment on, it's just your frontal lobe's not fully there yet. No, it takes exactly. time and- there's a conversation between Harry and Murphy about the what the the damage that the fireball did, mm -hmm. right? And you know, Harry's like, "Oh, no. and it's most importantly the collateral damage that the fireball did." Harry's thinking about the straight up damage. Murphy's thinking about the collateral damage, the people who lost their jobs and things like that. Which I really liked that the two views of the same situation. Yeah, well, his like in, you know his gut his uh, gut reaction is like, well. It's all Marcone's businesses, you know, like, fuck them. But yeah, she's like, yeah, there's people who have no fucking clue that they work for a drug lord. Like, yeah, they have no, they, they go to their nine to five minimum wage job and then probably go to another minimum wage job. Right. Like they're just mm -hmm. trying to get through it. And you just fucked a bunch of people. It's just reminded me of that. You see, you've seen clerks, right? Yes. The conversation they're having about the second death star, because when they destroyed it, it's still under construction. Yes. So like. Tens of thousands, hundred, I don't know, hundreds of thousands, but at very least tens of thousands of innocent contractors. <laughs> yes. 
were murdered for uh, political terrorism, which I just love. But just that's that's what that conversation made me think of. No, no, definitely, it's a hundred percent. It's exactly what that is. There's the line about like you think a stormtrooper was running a, a sewage line, right? Like there were just a bunch of dudes out there. Oh, True. goodness gracious! So True. same thing that Harry did there. It's there's people at the bottom, and that's part of why Marcone's people like Marcone work because mm-hmm. they they just latch on to the system that is. Yeah. Right. And use it to their advantage. But it also gives a perspective on Murphy as a cop. Mm-hmm. That she thinks of the people. Yeah. Yeah. That she isn't like she she cares about the individual humans that get affected every day by the things that she sees and deals with. And we saw that with her discussion of the new Velvet Room. Yeah. Whatever it's called now. Nobody's getting hurt. Yeah. She, she has this perspective. I don't think she would have had around Stormfront or Full Moon. Absolutely. No, not. She would not have. She has also developed as a character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And because she has seen more, like she'd seen some stuff, like the supernatural stuff. She'd seen some shit, but she has seen more. She's experienced more. She has dealt with it firsthand. She fucking went to Arctis tour. You know, like, I think that it really. And fucked over her whole life doing. So. Yeah. And, but what I think it has done is it has increased her empathy for the people that are involved. And she has learned, Harry has tied, kind of had to pawn her into in some occasions. But basically, teach her that, you know, there are, it, there are gray areas. There's a lot of gray areas that she might not necessarily have seen or dealt with without Harry, Harry being involved in her life. You know, and I'm not talking about like the gray areas, though, like, like your normal kind of uh, idea of gray areas as in, you know, good versus evil. But just the levels of gray within the world of the supernatural. But also it was it was either this book or last book where. Uh, she talks about Harry's guilt in having to kill people. And, you know, where, and she's like, I get it. And she does. She understands it because she's, she's been there. And uh, in, in this chunk that we just went through, she talks about pulling back on that power and understanding that all the power in the world isn't, you know, it doesn't need to be exhibited in every turn. Yeah. And even at the beginning of Proven Guilty, where there was a homicide in Chicago mm-hmm. and, Harry kind of talked her out of worrying about it in like two sentences. So yeah, definitely not the same person we saw, we met in Stormfront or in um, uh, Restoration of Faith. Yeah. It's just interesting. It's, you know, because we always talk about the character development and this is sitting here talking about it. It's just putting all the bits and pieces together where I didn't even realize this while I was going through the book and reading the book. But like now I'm like, oh shit, these are the things that, these are the ways Murphy has changed. These are the ways Harry has changed. And it's the things that Harry has helped her see She's now having to help him see again in a different light. Yeah. And she, yeah, we, we talked about last week a lot, how they're coming a lot like evil Harry and Lash. Yeah. Harry and Murphy are definitely affecting each other and kind of meeting towards the middle. Yeah. In a good way. <laughs> Absolutely. His sigil was itching. Mm-hmm. That's happened once before. When was that? I know it's, I know he's felt it before. I don't remember when he last felt it burning. It was not burning. Itching. itching. Sorry, itching. I don't remember. I don't know, but I remember that it, there was one other time where he mentioned it itching. Interesting. Ugh. Somebody will email it to us. I hope so. Yeah, somebody who can figure it out better than us. But I remember earlier, I want to say... We have, we have a bunch of really smart listeners, and I'm like, I never even thought about it. It's great. May, maybe when he saw Michael at the Carpenter home. Oh, maybe. can't remember the exact, but or maybe when he was on his way to Michael's, he chalked it up to like, you know imaginary yeah but just interesting that it, it isn't the first time that that's happened yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Anything else there on those early couple chapters? Kind of blasting through, but I mean, we talked a, a bit about as we were going, but the conversation between Harry and Lash is incredible. Yes. We picked that apart pretty well. Yeah, it was fantastic. Also, like the you mentioned it uh, in the later chapters about the interaction between Harry and or generally the interactions between Harry and Marcone, where just how it's that they play back and forth and it's a weird power struggle. And that's how they can coexist, I think, mm-hmm. by pretending they don't want to work with the other when they know they have to. Yeah, because like it or not, they're two of the players. 100%. In Chicago, and Chicago seems to be a big spot for players, right? So, Well, and the other thing is, is Marcone is in the know. And I think that's very important that he is in the know about the supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Lowe shows up is typically fun. Mm-hmm. Nothing super meaty or juicy, just... No. But again, if the interaction between the two of them is just, they know each other well. I mean, something as simple as when they, they uh, cheers their bottles and it's just like, fuck them. Uh-huh. Exactly. I love it. It's just they they know each other well and they've, they're battle-scarred together. Yeah, they've been... When you ride a dinosaur with somebody into a maelstrom of magical power and destructive forces yeah. and necromantic energy... Also when you have to kill a bunch of ghouls to save some kids and some kids die, that does it too. Mm-hmm. Or if you spend any time at all in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> the trauma bond of being in, in the land of enchantment. Exactly. It's a, it's a New Mexico trauma bond. Also the other thing. Yes, also the other things. But partially <laughs> the trauma bond. Trauma bond of New Mexico. The land of enchantment. It's interesting though that, that all of that shit went down in the land of enchantment, just saying. Ooh. I don't know if that's intentional, but... The highest... State capital by elevation Same. is uh, Santa Fe, I believe. I did not know that. Santa Fe. Oh, we need more newsies. One of my friend's kids, she is in a high school production of Newsies in Portland. I'm like, that's so cool. He's like, do you know Newsies? I said, yeah, I definitely know Newsies. Only a couple of miles away, a couple of hours away. Is it? Is it playing at the end of March? I don't know. <laughs> Just say it. And go and embarrass Jordan. <laughs> Spectacular. Either way. Um, Santa Fe. Are you there? Oh, Christian Bale's greatest role. And it's not <laughs> even close. I do love that film. I'm going to have to watch it. Talking about Newsies. Uh, well-regarded documentary about the Newsboys. Right. <laughs> early 1900s. Which actually was an important moment in labor. History. Oh, yeah, definitely. Also in cinema. And in cinematic history. <laughs> um... It's just completely unrelated. But I think about how nerdy we sound in this podcast and how nerdy we actually are in real life. How this is really like a very clear. <laughs> One of my kids last night asked me, like, are you He's like, have you always been this creative? Which is a weird way to describe the way I am. Uh-huh. Shit, it was, it was a compliment. I was like, I've just I decided, you know, at some point, just unabashedly me. So I'm not like sitting here making up references for this podcast. No. How this no. is my brain. I've always no, no, been as much it, of a nerd. Which so. is why this works and we can dig so deep into this. <laughs> it does definitely work. And again, so long as there's listeners, I'm delighted. But even if there aren't, this is <laughs> I mean, we'll still talk highlight of my week going through this, chewing through this novel, I tell you what. So Molly learned a good lesson. We talked about that. Um, a much needed lesson. Yeah, and it's interesting. He was trying to teach her with, we talked about spanking last week, but he was trying to teach her with fireballs and anger which is probably how he learned. Yeah. You know, with the cycles of violence. And the solution was to talk to her like a human being. 
Yeah. Which I love. Again, like we you know, talked about, I was, you know, I was joking about teenagers, but like that's, I, I've never been, I, I, I'm loud. I don't yell and get angry, you know, scream at people, you know, once in a while, but I'm not, I'm loud. It's, you watch me coach and it's for a, an hour or two, like one game, and you'll think I'm a psychopath and these kids are, <laughs> I'm loud and I'm, I'm always loud and I will let them know when they do something wrong and I will be like, let them know when they crush it as well. And mm-hmm. it is really cool to like recognize that you don't have to like play mind games and be a dick. Mm-hmm. You just tell them what's what and they're human beings and either they, will be excited about the people around them and wanting to work hard for them, or they won't. And the mind games weren't going to work anyway. <laughs> it's yeah, like, that's very true. So I just, I love that. It, that's a perfect example right there. A microcosm uh, with Molly. Yeah. So a really cool, really cool progression for Harry as well as Molly yeah. in that moment. And, and, and Murphy helped him see that. Oh, like, absolutely. Murphy is- helped him see that Lash is fucking with him. And, you know, she, uh, Together, everyone gets their shit together and works better. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you have to appreciate how how Murphy handles it. You know, she she speaks to him on level and she's just like, look, bro, look, like this is problematic. But the fact that he respect they respect each other enough to be able to to deal with that like they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And you have to have a high level of trust. Yes. To really have those conversations and let someone convince you that you're wrong. Being wrong is hard sometimes. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, but, but speaking of trauma bonds, <laughs> they definitely have a trauma bond too. Those two. Oh, absolutely. Um, we head out to the to the deeps. We talked a lot about the Ramirez stuff. I liked the little tete-a-tete with making Laura get get her pretty ass out of the limousine. Yes, <laughs> definitely. But again, that's another power play, much like he does with Marcone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he also he also explains to Los how important it is to be straight up. I am not food. And that's the same sort of I think that's the same sort of energy here. Absolutely. Competency. Uh, it's a word I use a lot, which is seems like such a small compliment. But when you surround yourself with competent people, good things tend to happen. Yeah. You know, stuff with the the actual entrance and them, you know, listening to them have their conniving, trying to steal each other's thunder. And then Harry steps all over their dicks. I love that. It's pretty spectacular. Well, because Malvora was really excited about letting the Scavis announce that they also, were doing this and then step yeah. all over their dicks. Yeah. And then Harry comes in and, and one-ups them. It was just pretty good. Yeah. And who's going to stop us? No. It, was a good, it is a good moment. A well-crafted moment. That ain't a straight line. I do. <laughs> but he, he fully admits that this is just dramatics. Oh, yeah. For all his faults, entrances are not one of them. And he also loves the dramatics. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's just, we're just moving chess pieces. We're setting it up. It's mm-hmm. interesting, their conversations about Lara. She's showing how dangerous she is by just being chill around yeah. them. The, anyone, and no, anyone who, says, who says I am the king is, not, is no true king. You know, like, mm-hmm. fucking, she doesn't have to flaunt it. She is powerful. Yeah. And she recognizes it and she knows that everyone around her knows it. And she's just going to go through her day and everyone's going to be terrified of her, which I love. Again, bringing in this power, another power player here. And do you have any thoughts on, you know, we talked about it. We mentioned it, the conversation with Marcone. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts on what's going on there? It's going to be like, we've got had a couple of these instances in the, in the stories where um, Marcone shows up right when he's needed. It's going to be another one of those. 
Marcone's going to get involved in this one way or another. Okay. Because he always does. I mean, that's just... Nothing goes on in this town without him knowing about it and being involved. A hundred percent. Without him making money off of it. (laughs) He probably could. Because the thing, too, is that with the white court and their level of wealth, they're going to have some level of involvement within the community one way or another. Mm -hmm. And with Marcone's knowledge of the supernatural elements that are coexisting with him in Chicago, he's going to have some interaction with, have had some interaction with the wealthy element, I'm guessing. Because it's it's not like they're above above repro- reproach. Mm-hmm. They're just not. I imagine they probably share the same dirty cops and the same dirty judges. Very likely. So yeah, they probably work together more behind the scenes than we realized. Mm-hmm. Or at least they guess. interact. Yeah, certainly in the same, run in the same circles. Yes. That Harry's not invited to. Because he's a good guy. Oh, no, just because he's poor. With that, too. But both sides. And again, even Harry's not sure he's a good guy. He's a better guy than most. But the thing, too, is like he admits that, you know, he's not perfect. And that's half the battle. Just like the thing, the whole thing uh, you said about when someone says, I am the king. Mm-hmm. It's the whole same idea. I'm a good guy. It's, you know, that's both in this kind of this world of the novels, but also just in real life. We are what we repeatedly do. Mm-hmm. Excellence, therefore, is a habit, not an act. It's show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. When someone shows you who they are, believe it. And in so far, Harry has showed us, shown us that he is, while he is not perfect, he is a good guy. That's two weeks in a row. My Angelou comes up on the pod. We're basically an actual literary pod at this point. <laughs> basically, interesting. The description of the chateau you kind of mentioned their similarities does sound eerily similar to Marcone's joint mm-hmm. from Full Moon, right? Surrounded mm-hmm. by a lot of forest. A lot, lot of cameras, a lot of security, a lot of walls, and um, a lot of corpses. Yeah. Deep down somewhere. Just Body, interesting. But it's got to be hidden somewhere. So, yeah, I, again, we're just moving the pieces around and we get into that really excellent preparatory cinematic face-off, the standoff at high noon. That we all knew was sur- coming. Surrounded by thralls. And, I mean, did we know that... Uh, that Los was going to be there. I'm excited to see what his usher glove does. And <laughs> yeah, no, life is good. I, I, it's going to be uh, going to be a good final chunk. And a lot of times we've got two more chunks. Do we? Yeah. Cause there's one, two, three, four, 40 five, to 37 to 43, 38 to 43. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm at 32. Oh yeah. Sorry. I moved back to the beginning of the chapters. Cause I was going through. Okay. You're right. I'm, I'm just bad at math. So I don't trust myself. So yeah, we have one more chapter and yeah, the, the second, the penultimate, the second to last chapter or chunk rather, is pretty much always, I don't want to say paint by numbers, but it is always this. Character this, development. Yes. It's character development, you know, bringing the pieces that were spread out over the course of the novel back together. Recovering from the apex battle. Yeah. From the, you know, from the, the big and the big act two set piece, whatever it was. And then we kind of get back together and we move the chess pieces around. So we're ready for our big final confrontation mm-hmm. at the end and i don't say that as a no, negative no it, it just it's you know these are there's it's serialized but it's um what's it called the story yeah like there is there is an overarching story to this whole thing mm-hmm. but each novel is a standalone file so it makes sense that that kind of structure and there are a couple of novels where that isn't the structure and it's jarring and it's interesting how I myself have complained in the past about kind of the paint by numbers plot, but going back through them, it's jarring when it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Harry Potter 7 was just the same way. And uh, A Feast for Crows as well. If you want to go multi-series where they're just the ones that are different, kind of, are different. You kind of get different for a reason. Yeah, you know, it's like a nice cup of hot hot chocolate here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we kind of covered the rest of it there. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about there specifically. I think so. We're just moving pieces around and having great conversations. I Mm -hmm. loved the lash combo. I loved the bomb that Carlos dropped at the end there. Yeah. But again, it's it's just Carlos is observant. Oh, the two things I wanted to talk about. I forgot. Uh, the, the soul gaze with Lara. Yep. Are, are her and Carlos going to be connected from here on out to some degree? Because Harry's got a connection with Marcone since they're soul gaze. And the other thing is at the very end, you, talk, you talked about how when he threw his jacket back, it was like in a Western. And his, Harry's vow to get a 10-gallon hat and spurs. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Really, that's that's the imagery he's going for but he also fucking nails it oh totally well i mean he's wearing a leather duster come on like something from the set of el dorado yeah even though we're not sure anyone in el dorado wears them yeah that's all right yikes so moving on do you have any yikes i didn't really have any yeah i mean i mentioned that for the same reason you know we get on some of the other sex conversations like to be sex positive, you have to be asex positive too. Yeah. So, I, I I think that was a little bit clunky that you know the Carlos thing, but I it's you know it's a play on him being the you know the player warrior. Yes, but it's also a plot device. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's a plot device, and it's it's kind of payback for him being fringe yikesy. Yeah, every appearance, and so now they're fringe yikesy. And just him. how he, he kind of was fringe yikesy about this one, where he's like, the things I could do to that girl, bro. When they were at Harry's place talking about her. But maybe he was just going to take her out for a nice steak dinner. There you go. Probably. Very probably. You're right. Well, clearly he didn't have a whole lot else on his mind. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Good point. I mean, like, it's important that in a broken patriarchy system, like, you can still be a housewife. You can still. Yeah. Barefoot in the kitchen is still an option. The point is to make it not the only option. So you you can be a, a chaste dude who enjoys hanging out and having conversations and not having sex with people. Mm-hmm. But it is really interesting that that, I, so like I, you know, Carlos can be the same guy he is and, and also yeah, not slide into home, but it is, it is funny. I get that. It's funny. And I get why it works. It's just, I just wanted to, you know, yeah, no, we're pointing it out. That's kind of what we do around here. Absolutely. I wouldn't say pro- super problematic, just worth thinking about. Um, beyond that, I'm sure you don't have any quotes this week. I outquoted you last week, which was the first time that's ever happened in the history of the show. I have six. <laughs> there you go. Back at it. After breaking a 57 episode streak. I know, right? I debated with myself over whether or not to suggest she add in a bit with the dog. People love dogs. You can never go wrong adding a dog to the story. <laughs> Very true. I mean, hey, be positive, Murph. You call it crazy. I call it unpredictable. Um... I think there is only a slighter greater chance of your enemies killing you than your allies, my host. You are a madman. This is less funny, but is a... Passion has overthrown tyrants and freed prisoners and slaves. Passion has brought justice where there was savagery. Passion has created freedom where there was nothing to but fear. Passion has helped souls rise from the ashes of their horrible lives and build something better, stronger, more beautiful. And then life's easier... When you can write off others as monsters, as demons, as horrible threats that must be hated and feared. The thing is, you can't do that without becoming them. 
just a little. And the last one, this is a nut house. Cave, I said. Nut cave. <laughs> God damn it. Did I take all yours? I think I had three and you took two of them. <laughs> Sorry. It's all good. I, uh, if you meant to dissuade me, Laura said a moment later in the soul gaze, you haven't. Not you. It wasn't to dissuade you. I, I just like that. Mm -hmm. Ramirez did a soul gaze for him, knowing he's not going to scare her off. He just wants to make sure he recognizes who she is through all the sexy what's-its she's got going on, suck you by style. Mm -hmm. Oh, I put this in the wrong place. God, I do this every week. I want to like, touch on the very end where we talk so much about Harry and Murphy growing and bringing each other into their lives and opening up. And he hasn't done that at all with Ramirez. And it's led to some conflict mm -hmm. right, right before this big conflict when they don't need fucking conflict. Murphy's law. Karen's law? Mm, that too. And he's talking about how he's trying to take down the whole power structure of the white court. After which, maybe I would try turning water to wine and walking on water. Though, technically speaking, I had done the latter yesterday. And then I have Nut Cave and Madman. So <laughs> what can you do? But Great minds or whatever kind of minds ours are. Goodness gracious me. I dig it. And literally right now, Shanda Arnold, you get a shout out. We appreciate you for hopping on board with Patreon. We will get you a uh, picture to commemorate it up on the big board and our dying gratitude. So thank you so much. We really do appreciate you. Um, slowly but surely getting things in a row where we can have a great pod for you guys and you guys are the ones making it happen. So we really, really do appreciate it. So thank you so much. Um, sorry to interrupt you there, Liz. Way less important than Shanda, but way more important than everything else. We got to get a crackpot game of the week. Yeah, I, I mean, just goes back to, to Mr. I mean, we all know Mr. is... I mean, but Carlos kind of outed my crackpot theory in that. Like, he's he's right. Mr. runs the show. You canceled your theory. I know, seriously. So I don't really have anything other than that. Like, my my regular uh, theories of the animals at this point. Um, but I do feel like this isn't necessarily a crackpot theory, but it was my prediction about how Marcon is going to come in because he's got some uh, experience dealing with the white court folk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's my guess. It's, we're missing We're missing another player here. Hmm. Murphy? Murphy going to come in guns blazing? That wasn't the one I was thinking of, but maybe she will. Hopefully she will. Somebody's got to, goddammit. What other player are we missing? Thomas? Yeah! I know Thomas was with Elaine. I don't know if he's going to come in. Oh, goodness gracious. So, oh. we're moving pieces around. We'll see what happens. Uh, we haven't heard from the Carpenters this novel either, but they don't show other up than always. True. He's more a wizard at this point, but you're absolutely correct. So we got our first download from the great nation of Poland. I spent Ooh. a week there. Oh, three years ago, four years ago, uh, five, six years ago, maybe now. <laughs> uh, I was, I'm a history major and I knew nothing basically about about a month there one night. And it was really awesome. A friend of mine that I met in Canada showed me around, put me up and nice. showed me all the great and terrible spots. It was really cool. So, <laughs> so what? So thank you, Poland. Thank you, Damian, for put me up and putting up with me for a week and mm -hmm. allow me into your home and teaching me great things. I love learning. So uh, either way, we, we picked up Poland on our big map here. I'm going to take a picture of this map soon after I, it's going to take me a year and a half to scratch off all of Russia, but we got a couple of <laughs> downloads from Russia and then a couple out of Poland recently. So very, very cool. We just there love to go. share the Dresden love with everyone. It's not about us. It is about getting people to read this goddamn novel series and recognize how awesome it is. <laughs> more people haven't heard of it is bananas and we just appreciate 
everybody who's spreading the word. We which remember, we do have homework. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, unlike Shanda and crew, you have homework every week. You gotta sh- if, if you're going to download the pod, the cost is you got to tell one person about the pod. <laughs> Share the love, baby. Uh, really appreciate all of you guys. Um, thank you so much. Anything else exciting to our announcements or attractions before we get out of here? I don't think we have anything new or different. We've pretty much gave the rundown of everything that's going on. We're going to go up to the, or I'm going up to the Pacific Northwest next month. Um, we will be finishing up this book next week. Very exciting on our post-President's Day pod. Woohoo! Well, we record. We'll post-President's Day pod recording. We record on Tuesdays. So, yeah, good times. Yeah, no, awesome. I am excited to get after that. Everyone has a place where they go on 4th of July and Christmas and Thanksgiving. and New Year's is always figuring it out, but there's always things. So when I was living in LA, had friends who were young and spry. I decided President's Day was going to be my holiday. So I threw a President's Day party every year. <laughs> and they were glorious and spectacular. And I hate that they don't exist anymore. I need to make friends in Seattle. So then I can have a President's Day party again. Probably not going to happen by Monday. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> but I can't wait. Um, but either way, I'm delighted and can't wait. So if anyone's around, buy a beer on President's Day. <laughs> I'll meet you in Portland to watch this high school production of Newsies. <laughs> We've got ourselves an agenda here, Ice. Woo-hoo! Life is good. Uh, thank you guys so much for everything you do to make this pod happen. And thank you, Lissy, for sticking with it and for existing and being wonderful. And thank you, Joshy. Yay, once in a while, Joshy. Once in a while, you should get some love. Yay, Joshy. <laughs> I, uh, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. And short of that, I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. With the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Because it's 32 to 37. 39? the fuck am I? So I have no idea. Up. You're in out. Seattle in your apartment. Oh, shit. That's an issue. <laughs> uh, what, eight? Oh, okay. So right before they start the fight. Correct. Which is a great place to stop. I tell you what.